0: Good morning, church. It's good to be with you as always. Are you ready to get into the word? Let's pray. Father, we uh, come before you this morning. We thank you that we can be in your presence. We thank you that we can boldly come into your throne room with confidence because of what Jesus has done on the cross. We acknowledge that we are nothing without you. That we need you every single day. Father, we thank you that when we blow it, that your mercies are new every morning. Father, we thank you that as there's a group of us in here who are realities, we love you, but sometimes we struggle. Father, we thank you that even when we are not faithful, your word says that you are still faithful. You are so good and we are so thankful. And so we just, even before we come to hear your word this morning, we just acknowledge your goodness and your greatness. And we love you and we thank you that we're able to connect with you through singing and praise. And we know that you hear our worship and are so pleased with it. And so today as we dive into your word, would you guide us and lead us and help us just to understand Your truth, your word, so that it would impact our life and impact everybody around us. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, as Vince said, we are finishing up our Ten Commandments series today. Um, We've been in, this really has been our longest series we've ever done. It's been 10 weeks. Come on now, 10 weeks in the Ten Commandments. The only one that we weren't able to do a full message on because we had some guest speakers and stuff like that is stealing, Um, but don't steal, okay? (laughs) The 10th commandment today, I had to kind of choose which one I wanted to finish. I said, you know what? I really feel like this is an important commandment. Um, If I have the two to choose from, I really feel like I want to finish with this one. They are interconnected. Stealing and this commandment are interconnected, but this is a command the last command that really points to what God is trying to communicate throughout the entire 10 Commandments. See, every command points to something that we aren't supposed to do, but ultimately points to a way that we're supposed to live and a part of God's heart. It's showing us God's character and desire for us to live, right? Let me just remind you, the 10 Commandments God gives the Ten Commandments to the Israelites because they've just come out of slavery. They they don't know how to be the people of God. They don't know how to live God's way. They've grown so accustomed to living out of the culture of the Egyptians, a foreign culture, that they don't know what it means to be God's people and to live the way he's called them to. Just like we as Christians are called out of the old culture that we used to come from, the old practices that we used to live, the old life that we used to have. And now if you're a Christian, what's the Bible say? You are a new creation. You are new part of the reason our church is called new life. That's our purpose. Not just to introduce one another to good principles found in the Bible, but to allow you and I, through the power of spirit, to have new life that only happens through Jesus. There's a room full of people, the person next to you, the person over from you, in this room of people that used to live an old way and now are new creations in Christ. And as we are new creations in Christ, we all have to try to figure out, you know, hey, before I knew God, I dated like this, but now that I'm a Christian, how am I supposed to relate and date other people? And you used to have an old pattern, you still have an old way to do it, but now your life needs to be mirrored in the way that God's called you to live. And that's what's been going on these whole, um, every week we've been going through the Ten Commandments. God finishes with the 10th commandment and what's different about this commandment is specifically with this one, he's pointing not to an action, but to a heart condition. See every command, don't murder, action. Don't commit adultery, action. Don't lie, action. God In every action, points to the heart and says, I'm not just concerned with how you look to your neighbor or how you look on the outside or what you do at the end of the day. I'm really concerned with the heart behind what you do, what you do. God is not just concerned with how we look to one another, but God is concerned with the deepest part of who we are. God cares about our thoughts. Scary as that might be, right? Right. God cares about your desires. He cares about your dreams. He knows your fears. And God wants you to be transformed not just an outward side, but to the deepest core part of who you are. When Jesus came to the most religious people of his day, the Pharisees, I was just listening to it in Matthew chapter 23 and 24. It's scary stuff. Because Jesus points to the most religious people of his day, the people who have several books of the Bible memorized in their mind and calls them whitewashed tombs. He says, you're like a cup that looks really good on the outside, but he wouldn't drink from that cup because it's dirty on the inside. See, God is concerned with us as his people looking like him at the deepest part of who we are. This command, number 10, I'll read it for you, deals with the heart condition, the mind condition, the inward secret thing of coveting. Coveting. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17 says this, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or his female servants, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Let me say what this command is not. This is not God saying you can't have dreams, uh, don't have desires, uh, don't want more. That's not what God's saying. We actually know all throughout the Bible, we see different people who want good things, right? There are good things that you should want a better marriage, amen? You should want healthy relationships. You should want to work hard and all the benefits that come along with that. It's not a bad thing to want good things, but listen to how one pastor says it. Pastor DeYoung says, the Bible says our problem is not that we desire things but that we desire the wrong things or desire good things in the wrong way. We covet when we want for ourselves what belongs to someone else. And the scariest thing about this for us is we know that if someone goes up and just like punches someone, we're like, whoa, they got some issues to work on. Uh, You know, no one's like if somebody murders someone, you're like, okay, wrong. They murdered somebody. It's very visible. You see it. You're aware of the action. But coveting is something that can be done in the deepest parts of the heart. You can, as a Christian like me, want somebody else's things, want somebody else's relationship to a point that it becomes an idol in your life. And we know from the New Testament that coveting is actually at its deepest root, idolatry. When you want something so bad that somebody else has, that you've given it such value, that it becomes your God. It becomes the thing that you, maybe you wouldn't call it your God, but it becomes the thing that your life now centers around. Your whole life is about getting the car or getting an early retirement or having a position or having health. You say, I want what that person has, and you center your whole life around it. You wake up thinking about it, go to sleep dreaming about it. That has become an idol. And God says that is coveting. And ultimately, I think what I hear in this text and what I see when I study it is it's saying is our problem as people. Hear me clearly, brothers and sisters. Our problem is that we are not satisfied in the way that we should be with God. And when you're not satisfied with God in the way that you should be, you turn to other things to satisfy you. Don't stone me, but I, uh, there's certain Mexican dishes that I just am not crazy about, okay? Don't throw things at me. One of the things I don't, uh, I'm not crazy about is um, I'm not crazy about mole. don't throw anything, don't throw. I've come around to tamales, but I didn't like them in the beginning, but I've come around, I've come around. But sometimes I go over to a relative's house or a a friend's house or something, and they'll cook it, and it's like grandma's recipe. and Everyone's like eating it, licking their fingers, like, oh my goodness, this is so good. And I just like, I don't like it. I may eat a little bit of it, but I'm not crazy about it. I move on. And if I'm driving home, I'll be like, let's get, you know, portillo's on the way back. (laughs) Let's wait 40 minutes in portillo's and get an Italian beef. (laughs) But if I'm driving with someone, either my family or my wife, and they ate a full meal, they're not looking to stop on the way back because they're satisfied with what they ate already. It's not that the food wasn't enough or there wasn't enough portions. It's that I didn't eat enough of the food that I should have eaten or I didn't have enough. I would have been satisfied if I would have taken enough in, but I didn't. I nibbled, I ate the crumbs, and I moved on to something else. Sometimes, not even in the meat of my sermon yet. Sometimes that's our issue. We nibble at the table of God and think, God, you're not enough, but you really haven't been satisfied or had a full meal of what it means to be with God. When you really sit with God, when you really get to know God, when you really spend time with God, when you really press into God, you will be satisfied. But if it's like a drive through meal and you're moving on and you just nibbled at the table of what it means to be a follower of Jesus or in a relationship, you will go to other places to be satisfied. And ultimately, humans, we as people, Christians, there's a part of us that God has created that we will only be satisfied fully in Him. Only. And I know you and I want to be satisfied in Jesus because when we covet for other things, it robs us of the joy and the peace that we can have in God because you're always looking for what's next instead of going to really what can fulfill you. So I'm going to go through these quickly, but I want you to write this down. I'm going to go to four steps, and I'm not going to sit in one passage of scripture, but four steps to being content, right? The opposite of always wanting, the opposite of not being satisfied is being filled, content, full. And one of the ways that we can combat or fight against always wanting what other people have when that desire creeps up in our life is firstly this. We need to understand all that we have. Write that down. We need to understand. You want to fight against this desire to not be satisfied? Part of the reason that so many of us aren't satisfied is we don't really understand all that we have. And when you don't understand all that you have, you start looking to what other people have and thinking that they have more than you do. As a Christian, as a follower of God, we have been given so much. So much. And yet there's times where I start to look at what other people have in a worldly material sense, the things that they have around me. And I desire that for myself, but I've taken my eyes off of what God has given me. We know that scripture says that every thing, every specifically good thing we have in our life comes from God. That's in James 1 17. And it also says something about God's character that it says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. What the passage is saying here is, is every good thing that you can think about in your life ultimately comes from God. Every good relationship, every good promotion, every good deal, every good this, every good that, ultimately finds its way back to heaven, and God has given it and blessed you with it. Psalms 34.10 says, the young lion suffers want and hunger, but those who seek... Go after, pursue, the Lord Lack no good thing. When you as a follower of God walk closely with God, there may be things around you that may appeal to you, and it's not bad to want those things or for those things to appeal to you unless they rob you of your joy, your peace, and your contentment in the Lord. When you start desiring something that somebody else has so badly that it takes your focus, your mind, your reality off of what God has given you, you will quickly fall into the heart condition, the sinful condition of covetousness, wanting what that person has. And let's be honest with ourselves. The grass always looks greener on the other side always. You know how many people I've talked to this year? I, what I experienced as a pastor this year is that so many people had so much time to think about their life because, you know, COVID. We had, a lot of us were working from home. A lot of us had more time to just think about what we wanted to do with our life. I realized, though, that a lot of people grew really discontent last year. And we all had a lot of time to look at what everybody else had. We all had a lot of time to see what other people uh, had, what they want. And it's really easy to get sucked into the vortex of just looking at what other people have that you don't have. And what happens, one of the clearest, most uh, simple signs that you are struggling with this sin, that we are struggling with the sin of coveting what our neighbor has, is when you cannot celebrate when somebody else wins. You want to know if you're wrestling with it? One of the signs, one of the red flags, the warning, the, uh, the lights on the dashboard. The hey, I may be wrestling is when somebody else gets a win in their life and you really, really can't celebrate with them. You're at a gathering, party in the backyard. You have no idea. You're just there to have some, you know, ribs. And, she, and your friends say, de- hey, I, I, announcement, I didn't tell anybody about this, but I'm actually pregnant. Oh my gosh, this is so, it's amazing. <laughs> and everyone's going around, they're hugging, oh my gosh, this is what we waited for, we prayed for this and everything. And you're just sitting there like, I came here for ribs. She knows that I've been praying for that, that I want that, and everyone's over here, but you're having your, you give one of those like, you know, I don't even know what, are they hugs? Like, hi, like, so happy for you, and that's your best friend, big moment. Something they prayed for. You even pray, Hey, let's pray together about this, but they get their prayer answered first about something that you wanted and you can't celebrate with that person that you love because you covet want what they have. And it robs you of your ability to have joy with them. You just got a new car. It's nice. It's red. You're paying more for insurance, but it's red. You wash it every other day, not every day, that's a crazy person, but every other day. It's in the driveway, you're cleaning it. It's not 2020, but it's 2018, that's new, right? But then you see your neighbor pull up with that 2020. And the thing that you washed every day, now you look at there and say, this stupid old thing. I knew I should have got the 2020, I knew it you love that car you were driving it windows down music extra loud looking at people intentionally while you're driving just like hey you see what i'm in but then your neighbor gets one that's newer and the shiny toy that you enjoy you can no longer enjoy because you covet want what your neighbor has and what that gives them this is what happens in our life and it robs us of our ability to have joy and peace and even celebrate with one another because the thing that they have is the thing that we want. And instead of celebrating with them, we kind of despise them at a low level because we say, well, that's really what I wanted. And God's saying, that is what I'm concerned about. And Let me say this. Part of what creeps in here with, with, with covetousness is this thought that, God, you're answering their prayers, but you're not answering mine. You're doing me wrong, God. You're not fair to me, God. Uh, you, you can, maybe you can't provide or give me what I need, God. But listen to Philippians 4.19. Let me push that lie out with some truth. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. That means that, you know, if I go to my dad and say, hey, dad, can you give me some money? He can only give me the amount of money that's in according with his riches. If he only has so much money, he can only give me so much money, right? If he only has so much, I can only ask so much for him, from him. God has unlimited everything. And so whatever you need from God, God can provide that for you and give that to you. If you don't have it, it's probably not because, you know, God just doesn't want to give it to you. It's probably because it's not the right season for your life or the right thing that you need in that moment. The Bible talks oftentimes about praying for things and then at the proper time, we'll get it. And we grow, I don't know, I do, I grow impatient like God, I've been praying and asking for it. I want that, and God's just like, just slow down, at the proper time, I'll give it to you, at the, pro- it's not that I don't have it available, I'm God, I have a thousand cattle on a thousand hills, I have everything that you need, don't get twisted or fall into the lies that I can't not provide, I can absolutely provide for you. But my child, do you understand that if you can't learn to love the little, then you will never love when you have it all we push back and we fight against covetousness by remembering all that we have in God and we just talked about kind of physical things but it's the heart but God has given us so 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 much but when we understand all that we have we can move into the second step and we can learn to be grateful for all that we have it's not just remembering all that you have or understanding all that you have. That's piece one. But piece two, step two of the puzzle is being grateful for all that you have. Hey, you might not have the four bedroom house that you want right now, but thank God that you have a roof over your head right now. Hey, you might not have the ideal job that you've been wanting in your life, and you're praying for a job change, but thank God that you still have a job to pay your bills and provide for yourself. Hey, you may not have what you want in your savings account right now, but thank God that you have that little bit in your savings account. Hey, you may have a twitch in your elbow that's really hurting and bothering you and you're praying to God and you're going to get, you're going to deal with it, but thank God that you have your health in the rest of your body. And, and, And the real test of our gratitude comes when you lose. When something is stripped, when not everything is going right, when you get a bad test report, when, some, when you get bad news on the phone, that's when our... And, and so we need to understand, okay, the world around us is constantly searching for things to fill them because they think that it's found outside of themselves. But as a Christian... Leaving the old slavery of sin sin, and walking in the newness that is Christ, we know that these material things are not bad, but they're not everything. They're not bad to want a new house. It's not bad to want a new car. It's not bad to want a new iPhone every year. It's not bad. (laughs) Didn't change, but it's not bad. But when that becomes the driving thing in your life, or you want it so badly that now that becomes the idol of your life, that's what covetousness is. And so first we identify what we have, but then we give thanks for it. Ephesians 5.20 says, give thanks always and for everything. Give thanks when it's not the newest model car. Give thanks even when you're praying for that relationship, but you're not in it yet. They pr- give thanks when you're grandparents and you want grandkids, but you don't have them yet. Give thanks. Give thanks in every and all situations. To who? To God, because God is the provider of everything that is good. Philippians 4 11 through 13. This is Paul speaking. He tells us about the secret of gratitude. And a lot of us in this room have fallen captive to the lie that gratitude, that being grateful, thankful for something comes when, we, when all of our circumstances in our life line up and they're good. But that's not true. And if you're waiting for your life, you're waiting for all the stars of circumstances to align in your life before you're starting to thank God Like, I have all these things, but I need all these. And before I have those, I'm not going to be a grateful person. Then you're robbing yourself of the life that God has called you to live. Paul, an amazing example to all of us in our faith, probably went through just the, in the New Testament, there's few people that kind of went through more stuff than Paul did. Paul was shipwrecked twice. Paul was bitten. I mean, gets on an island, gets bit by a poisonous snake. Paul gets thrown into jail multiple times. Paul gets beaten for the gospel multiple times. And Philippians 4.11, he says this, I am not saying this, I'm not asking for anything because I'm in need. For I've learned, here's it, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Whatever's going on in my life, whether I'm in jail or shipwreck, whether I'm beat, whether I don't have food, whether I'm accused of lying, I've learned the secret to being grateful and thankful in any circumstance. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, and here it is. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, let me just kind of frame that for what that is. I don't wanna ask how many of you have that verse on on your body. It's a great verse, but a lot of times it's kind of quoted with a marathon saying, hey, I can do all things through Christ. Like, here it goes, 30 miles. That's not what this is talking about. Paul is talking about being content, right? Being satisfied with what you have, whether it's everything or anything. And and what he's saying is, I can be content. I can do all this. What? Be content through Jesus. And when I don't feel like I can do it, I do it through Jesus who gives me strength. It requires Jesus and his strength to help us stay on course and stay grateful for the things that we have in our life. Apart from him, we can't accomplish anything. Apart from Jesus, we can't be the person of gratitude and contentness that we want to be. Apart from Jesus, we are constantly sucked into the vortex of not having enough. But with Jesus, we can realize that we have everything in Christ. Number three, we need to talk about not having covetousness seep into our heart. This is such a powerful passage. Number three, keep focused on all things above. Keep focused. Where do we look? This verse is gonna tell us. Where where should our mind be? Where should our attention be? I don't know if you've ever like been looking down, I had this happen to me recently, we are just looking down at your phone, you're not looking, you like bump into things. It's because you took your eyes off forward. You're, you're, You're on your phone texting, you're hitting things, you're tripping. Because you're not looking where you should be looking. And when we take our eyes off where we should be looking, we always end up in trouble. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 says this. If then you have been raised with Christ, you're a Christian, you're living that new life now. Seek the things that are above. It doesn't stop there. Seek the things are above. Why? Well, that's where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, here it is, it nails it even more. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are that are on earth. That's what it says. Set your minds, Christians, on eternity. Set your minds on the things of the future. Set your minds on the end of the race. Set your minds on the place that Jesus is. And when we are going to be with Jesus, whether it's here on earth or in heaven, we do not need to want. Do you know, can you think about this? Is this crazy thought that you and I, that you and I will have everything that we need in heaven? That the most prized thing here on earth, gold, is what we will walk on. That's literally what we're going to be like, oh, yeah, I remember this. Gold, remember people would kill each other over this? Yeah, we walk on that now. That's just, that's just kind of pavement. Oh, what are you guys doing? Fixing the gold street? Oh, yeah, okay, cool. Our problem is that we get our minds so fixated on things here on earth. And you say, well, this can't be talking about covetousness. Listen to the next verse. When Christ, who is your life, appears... Then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he goes through a list. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. He's saying, listen, part of the reason that we as humans, Christians, wrestle with covetousness is that we have our mind fixated and focused on the wrong thing. We become so caught up in the culture about, well, it's what bag I have or what house I have or how much money I have or what net worth I have or how many houses I have or if I have a boat and how many degrees and am I successful in the world's opinion? We get so focused on what this world values as success that we end up living our life for this world. God's saying, If you have your eyes focused on this world and all the things of this world, you're going gonna to live for those things. The only way that you can possibly live for something that's greater than yourself, the only way you can possibly live for that which is heaven, the only way you can possibly live for that which is me is to focus your attention on me. Take your mind off of all these other silly rat races that people are running. And that doesn't mean don't work hard. That doesn't mean don't strive with excellence. That doesn't mean don't want more. That doesn't mean don't push and this and that. That doesn't mean that. But if that becomes the drive of your existence, then you've missed the focus of what's that much more important. And when we take our eyes off of Jesus and the race and living for eternity, when we take our eyes off the one who provides, we start thinking that we are the main provider. If I just don't do enough, then I won't. No, 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 you should work. The Bible says if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. The Bible says if you don't work, you don't provide for your family, you're actually worse than an unbeliever. It's a pretty strong verse. Worse than an unbeliever if you're not providing for your family and you have the means. But when we have our eyes on Jesus and he's the goal and he's the thing we're chasing and running after, then those things that were so important to us become less important and he becomes the driving force. First Timothy says, but godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll we be content with that. The most valuable thing that you have in your life, if that was stripped from you, would you feel like there's a reason to live still? Every time that there's a major economic turn in our country, suicide spikes. Because some, there's some people that have so entrapped their wealth and, and their identity together that once their wealth goes, they feel like their value and their identity and everything else goes with it. And God is saying, Listen, Christians, I brought you into the world with zilch, zero. Nothing. You didn't even come with clothes and all you spend hours and hours getting whatever you think in your mind will make you happy. the, the if only I had, if only I had, if only I had, and one day all of that will be gone. You, you came into existence without anything and you get all this stuff and then you cross that line and you go back to be with me. But all of that stuff gets left behind for someone else. And the author of Ecclesiastes talks about the meaninglessness of this. He calls it a chasing after wind. He's saying your life is so much more than that. Ecclesiastes says if money is what you love, then you will never have enough. But I just had this race, yeah, yeah. Good, I want you to get that. But if you have that, is it just looking next and next and next and next? Or is your life something more than your bank account? And last but not least, and here's the crux of the message, we need to be filled by all that he is. The solution to being satisfied by God the solution and not being so focused on things that are really not gonna satisfy us in the long term is being filled with God and going and knowing that he is the only thing that can give you what you want. John chapter six, verse 35, Jesus summed it up pretty well. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not, hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst, and I'd love to pair that with John 15 verse 4. Jesus says, remain in me as I remain in you. No branch on a tree can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus gives us really the the key that if you're in this room, first and foremost, and you don't know Jesus, let me tell you something. I don't even know your story, and I can tell you this as an absolute, that if you don't know Jesus and you're in this room, I can guarantee you that you're not satisfied, guarantee you that you're not totally fulfilled in the life that you're living, guarantee you, because there was a part of you that God the creator created that could only be satisfied in him, only in him. Not all the money in the world, possessions in the world, fame in the world, accolades of the world, nothing in the world could ever, all of it combined, could not satisfy and fill your heart the way that the creator could, because he created you with a God sized vacuum that can only be filled by himself. You can have momentary pleasure, you could have momentary escapism, you could have moments of, of feeling elated, moments of joy, but you cannot have the existence in the life that you want to apart from the life that he is. True life is only found in the one who is life. And Jesus says in Matthew and in chapter, Luke chapter 12 He says, guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. The great lie of America, the land of opportunity, is that if you just have enough, you would be filled. The greatest lie that's that's shoveled to us is that if you just had enough, your life would be satisfied. It's a great lie that sends a lot of people to hell, chasing a thing that cannot fill them. And Jesus says, I am here. The thing that humanity has been looking forward, looking forward to and waiting for, I am it. I am the bread of life. And when you come to me, this longing won't be there anymore. But you have to abide in me. You're a Christian in the room, let me say this. You you cannot be satisfied and walk free of covetousness if you are not satisfied in God. You may have windows and seasons of success and, and victory, but if you are not abiding, staying close, walking in the Lord, you cannot be satisfied in the way you need Him. Every single day, you need him every single day to fill you, to satisfy you, to be the thing you're pursuing, to be the thing that you need. Jesus' disciples, Jesus said, are you going to lead me too? Jesus' his disciples said, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Like we found it in you, Jesus. And that another relationship, another drink, another party, another achievement, another this, another that is not going to satisfy. I've tried, and it's a black hole. Only you can fill it. Stand with me. be driven but don't let things be the drive have desires have dreams work hard but never fall into the lie and the trap that if you just had more of things whatever that is that you would be satisfied Because a lot of us are trapped in the, if only I, if only I had, if only I just, if if only I could. And God is like, if only you could see that I'm the way, if only you can see that I'm the only one that could possibly satisfy you. And I want to pray for you as we end the service. I'm gonna ask that every eye would just be closed at this time. And um, if you are struggling or wrestling and you're unsatisfied, And you know that you're not walking close to God. You know that there's just a desire for all these things, and they're not bad things, but they've become bad because they become your sole drive of your life. If you know that as the words were spoken today, as the verses were read, as the scripture was preached, that you are wrestling with making things an idol, covetousness, I want to pray for you. But I'm going to ask that you'd raise your hands. If there's a If there's a willingness in you to say, I wanna pursue God and be satisfied with Him, with your eyes closed, would you just raise your hands and say, I I need to be satisfied by Him again. I just want you to raise your hands so I can see you. You can keep your hands raised. I just wanna pray with you right now. When we raise our hands, it's a sign of surrender to God. It's an acknowledgement that there's things that we need to work on. It's just a symbol. And if there's things that are driving you, they're the really the love of your life, then I wanna help you, I wanna pray with you that Jesus would be the love of your life and the thing that ultimately satisfies you. So let's pray. Father, we just, we raise our hands, Father, across the room, you have people who need you. And Father, they, they hear your word, they hear your scripture this morning that that you care about what happens at the deepest parts of who we are. And may, we may look good to everybody else around us. We may fake people out because we, we, we just, we, we can act a certain way. And, but Father, we, we, want, we know that you see us, God. And ultimately, that's what matters to us the most, where our heart's at and, and, and what you think about our heart. And so, Father, forgive us if we've been too preoccupied with people's opinions Forgive us, Father, if the drive of our life has been possessions or more things or an object or success or this or that. Forgive us, Father, if it's been anything but you, God. So quickly our heart can stray from you, but we are empty without you. And so, Father, I pray an extra, an extra uh, measure of grace for those that have their hands raised, God, that you would just meet them where they're at as we sing this song of worship. Would you free them? And help them, God, walk in a freedom from covetousness, God, that they would walk in a closeness to you and that they would truly be satisfied as they pursue you, abide in you, walk with you, long for you, God, that you would meet them and they would be more satisfied than if they had a hundred or a thousand times what they even thought could satisfy them in the world, God. You are the answer to our emptiness. You are The life that we need and the abundance of life is found in you. And so as we worship, let us focus our minds on Jesus and on heaven above. Let's sing.